So when I was in L.A., um, I was pastoring an urban church in L.A., not far from a place called World Impact. And at the time, um, we began to look for other relationships. How many of you recognize that the mission of God is too big for any one individual or any one church? How many know East Hill is not the only church in the city doing something for God? Like all of the churches are doing the best they can with the gifts that they have, with the anointings they have, with the graces that they have. And so as we were doing that, I started asking, I said, Lord, I need some key relationships, not just for the city, but for my life. And somebody kept telling me, well, you got to, have you met Ephraim? Have you met Ephraim? You got to meet Ephraim Smith. I was like, who is this guy? He's just another bald-haired black guy. Come on, somebody. There's a bunch of them. But they said, no, have you read his books? And he's got a lot of books on reconciliation and the post-Christian church and all this stuff. And I was like, no. And I really don't want to read another Samuel Jackson wannabe prophet of the Lord. Um, I, but, but when I started reading his stuff and understanding his heart and for the gospel and his heart for God's people, the multi-ethnic church, reconciliation, um, he is a, this is not a hyperbole, he is a leading voice in the country in the reconciliation movement and a, an author and, and newly uh, crowned doctor at ministry. And we thank God for him. He's a good friend of ours, him and his wife, Denisha, are here with us. Would you please welcome Dr. Ephraim Smith to the pulpit this morning. Amen. Give him a big hand. Come on, Reverend. Moving all slow. This, this is gonna help me feel like, you know, hey, it's Ephraim, you know, so this is cool. So let me get this extension cord from out my sweater. Thank you. We just wanted to put him to work. Man, what an intro, thank you. Thank you, appreciate you. Um, and, and really, I, I'm hoping that you won't treat me like a guest or a, a stranger. I mean, consider me like, like a clearance Keith Jenkins. You, you know what I mean? Like, if Keith Jenkins was on clearance sale, this is what it looks like, all right? I mean, because I'm bald, he's bald, I got a beard, he's got a beard, we both wear glasses, we both chocolate caramel, so hey. <laughs> but it is indeed a joy to be with you, and uh, my wife, Danisha, is, is with me too, and so it's just been a great weekend for us just to hang out with the Jenkins and, and be here in this great atmosphere. Sisters and brothers, we are heading to Calvary. As we go into this week, we enter into the scandal, the horror, the brutality of the arrest of Jesus, the public beating of Jesus, Jesus going to the cross. So it's significant as we head to Calvary to understand why it is so significant why it's so needed. We need the death and resurrection of Jesus because of a brokenness, a broken world. And so I want to talk about brokenness 
today with you. So I want to go to a scandalous text, the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. There's a word for us in Hosea chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, uh, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. From this text, sisters and brothers, I want to speak to you on the title, Bringing Back the Broken. Bringing Back the Broken. God, I pray that this would be your word that you would preach. And I would just be the vessel, the vehicle that you have decided to use to say what you want to say. To these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers, God, I desire to be obedient to your word. So please let it be done. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bringing back the broken. What do you do with broken things? Oh, man, that was a great response. I wasn't expecting that. That's... Well, let me tell you, I am not good with broken stuff. Uh, some of y'all responded well. You know, I fix it. I'm not good with broken stuff. I man, I, I, you know, every once in a while, I break something, and I can't blame anybody else but me. I can be in the kitchen and I'm doing dishes and drying the dishes and putting them away, not as often as my wife Denisha would want me to, but every once in a while, I'm washing and drying dishes, and man, I will break a glass. Now, the first thing that I do when I break a glass is I want to make sure that I don't get cut, that I don't feel any pain. Because when I'm around broken stuff, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. How can I not encounter pain? How can I not encounter discomfort because of brokenness, even when it's stuff I broke? 
The next thing I try to do is get rid of all the evidence that I broke something. So I get a broom and I just you know, sweep it on. I even look for the little slivers of glass that you really can't see. I, I wet a paper towel and I go to the place where there's brokenness because I want to remove all evidence. I don't want there to be evidence of brokenness lingering around my life. And, and then before Danisha gets home, I go to the pantry and I, I open the cupboard and I, and I look at all the glasses and I try to rearrange them so that she won't know one is missing. Because I'm hoping she will come home and I have been able to hide brokenness. Some people don't want to deal with broken stuff. We try to avoid it. I mean, it's like if we see broken stuff in the street, it's like we try to walk around that. We try to drive around that. We try to avoid broken stuff. And even when we break things, we don't want discomfort. We don't want pain. We don't want to get cut. We don't want the evidence around that there's brokenness. We try to rearrange things in our lives so that you don't see what's broken. But it's one thing if you're dealing with broken glass, a broken plate. But what do you do with a broken world? What do you do with broken family systems? What do you do with, about broken neighborhoods, a broken nation? How do you handle brokenness? Well, maybe the better question is, what does God do with brokenness? How does God deal with broken lives, a broken world? Well, the, here's the thing. God desires to bring blessedness where there's brokenness. God desires to bring belovedness where there's brokenness. God has a plan for the broken. Here in Hosea, we're looking at a book that is primarily about judgment, but it's also getting at the core of how God deals with brokenness, but it's also revealing what kind of brokenness are we talking about here? We're talking about the brokenness of sin. So to understand the book of Hosea, to understand God's plan for brokenness, you have to have an enriched biblical understanding of sin because this is the kind of brokenness we're talking about. In the Bible, there are at least three dimensions or three expressions of sin. To understand sin biblically, we have to understand it in these three dimensions. One, there is sin in the soul. There is sin in the heart of human beings. And so we see this as soon as God creates the very first family. In that family, a brother, Cain, kills his brother, Abel. Why does that happen? Because there's sin in the soul of Cain. There is sin in the heart of a human being. So sin is in the soul. But sin is not just in the soul. Sin is also in society. And so when you take individuals that have sin in their soul and they start collectively building things, they will build sinful institutions and structures and ideologies and movements. So sin is not just in the soul, sin is in society. That explains Egypt enslaving the Hebrews. This explains these 
empires that are sinful like Assyria and Babylon, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire, even sinful Israel divided between the north and the south. It's because sin is not just in the soul, sin is in society. But sin, third dimension, is also in Satan. Ultimately, the liar, the tempter, Lucifer, the devil. And so sin is also spiritual. There's a spiritual warfare understanding to knowing sin biblically. Sin is in the soul. Sin is in society. And sin is in Satan, the ultimate liar and deceiver. The problem is, sisters and brothers, let me put this doctrine to work. We bifurcate sin in the body of Christ. We compartmentalize sin, and so we're kind of divided by sin in the body of Christ because we can't come to an agreement on the, the three dimensions of sin biblically. So some people in the body of Christ primarily, if not exclusively, see sin in the soul. And they rightly are saying people need Jesus in their life. They need to repent and accept Jesus Christ into their soul. That's right. But sometimes the people in this group don't acknowledge sin in society. So when you start talking about systemic sin and systemic injustice and systemic brokenness, they'll just say, oh, that's just socialism. That's not biblical. That, that They, they kind of deny sin in society. And then there are people that see sin in society. They see the injustice. They see the brokenness. And they want to do something about injustice. But if they only see sin in society, and not in the soul. You can fight for justice and be a fornicator. You can fight for justice and be greedy. You can fight for justice and be selfish. You can fight for justice and hurt people while you're fighting the system because you don't acknowledge what's in your own soul. And then there are people that, that see sin exclusively in Satan. So they just casting everything out. And I mean, this is biblical too, but if you only believe in this dimension, you're just casting everything out. You're like, somebody calls, ah, I cast that out in Jesus' name. <laughs> that spirit of wheeze. <laughs> but the Bible shows us that the brokenness that is all around us, sin, shows itself in these dimensions of sin in the soul sin in society, sin in Satan. The good news, sisters and brothers, is through Christ Jesus and the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, we see God's solution, God's response to sin in all its dimensions. Salvation through Christ Jesus to deal with sin in the soul. We also hear and see Jesus declaring in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the kingdom of God. And when Jesus returns, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be a new society. Ah, God will address the brokenness in society in such a way that one day there will be no disease. There will be no poverty. There will be no human trafficking. There will be no prejudice. There will be no discrimination. There will be no violence as the primary means to solve conflict because God has an answer for sin in society. 
Oh, yes, and let me talk about the devil. God has a solution. God is going to defeat the beast. Yes, the dragon, Satan, will be defeated in the return of Christ Jesus. The devil is defeated. God has a plan for broken things. God responds to sin. Now, it's good that we don't just have Hosea to go with because it would look at first glance that God's primary response to brokenness is judgment. That God's ultimate response to, 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 to brokenness is punishment. It's to leave us uncovered, unprotected. But no, there is more to the story. The good news of the gospel is not part of God's anger management plan. The good news of Jesus, God's way of dealing with brokenness in the world is not primarily about how will God's wrath be appeased, but it's how abundant God's love is. I don't care if you're in a broken situation right now. I don't care if you're trying to pick up the broken pieces of your life right now. I don't care if there's brokenness in relationships, brokenness in your emotional state. God has an agenda for the broken. So now that we got the appetizers out the way, let's get to the main course here. Let's, let's get to the entree here. Let's, let's, let's get to the entree here. Um, because I want us to be clear that we may be broken, but we're not thrown away. And can I just say this as a side note? The best posture for Christians in a broken world is to never lose sight of your brokenness. Because if you, if, you, if you take your blessedness out of its primary posture, then you'll just get arrogant. And you'll look at broken people as if you've never been broken before. You'll look at broken people as if you're not broken. So it's important not only to know that God doesn't throw away broken people, but that as the expression of God's kingdom in the world, the church should not throw away, push away, have this, this, this ultimate posture of judgment against the broken, to go to war against the broken. But we should have a posture of love and compassion and empathy towards the broken. So, how do we understand God's desire to bring back the broken? Here we go. This, we're going to go quickly with this. Point one, God exposes our brokenness. God exposes our brokenness. We're going back to Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, 
call him Jezreel because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love uh, to Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah and I will save them not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Man, that's heavy, man. But the reality is, sisters and brothers, in order to get to our blessedness, in order to understand more deeply our belovedness in God, God has to show us our brokenness. God decides for this broken nation of Israel to truly understand the state of things. He says to Hosea, I'm gonna try to give you the Disney Plus version of this story. I'm gonna try to give you the Disney Plus version of this story. <laughs> he, he says, I'm about to show Israel what the relationship between me, God, and them is like. So I want you to go marry someone that's not gonna be faithful to you. Hosea, I want you to go marry someone who already has a public track record of not being faithful. I know this might be difficult for us. No, no, it's not that difficult. Just watch a couple episodes of The Bachelor. You'll get it. <laughs> just, just, just watch a few episodes of the, of the Bachelorette on ABC. I don't know, watch, you know, Love and Hip Hop, just something. Real, Real Housewives of South Dakota. Just watch a show like that. You'll totally understand Hosea after that. I mean, don't watch a whole season because I, I don't want to mess you up like that. But, you know, a half an episode, you'll understand. I mean, can you imagine that? God is saying, I want you to make you. Could you imagine you go on a date with somebody? And they're like, well, you know how I am. I mean, you, you follow me on Instagram. <laughs> You've seen my TikTok, you know. I'm out there. I'm, I'm out there. I'm out there. But we can get married if you want to. And Hosea, yes, yeah, God already told me. God already told me. God uses a broken marriage, a broken family, as a picture of a broken nation. Wow. He's like, you're going to marry somebody who's not going to be faithful to you, and there's not even going to be a lot of love in your house. There, there's not going to be love. I mean, I mean, one of your children is going to be named not loved. One of your children is going to be named not my people. So they've got a broken marriage, a family where there's not hardly any love, and someone's in identity crisis. They don't even know who they belong to. They don't know, I mean, Mama, I know you out there, so is he really my daddy? Like, is this my daddy for real? This is my daddy? I don't know if he... Only Maury Povich knows. Who is my? <laughs> God exposes our brokenness. Why is Israel broken? Because of idolatry and injustice. 
they were an enslaved people brought out of Egypt. God desires to have an intimate, beloved relationship with them, that they would be a new people. But you know, sometimes you can be taken out of a system, but the system is still in you. You can be taken out of a structure, but the structure's still in you. And so, this people, they're struggling, even though they should have intimacy with God, they are struggling with idolatry and injustice. That's this slippery slope. God desires intimacy with us, but because of brokenness, we can be idolatrous, which will then cause spiritual infidelity, which then causes us to believe we're God, and then we can oppress others that leads us into injustice. And this is why the people of God are broken. But here's the good news. God doesn't just simply expose our brokenness. God desires to engage our brokenness. I'm getting ahead of myself, but this is what we need to understand about Jesus. Jesus coming to earth is about God not just exposing our brokenness, but engaging our brokenness, entering into our brokenness. When God sent Jesus down here, Jesus is stepping in to our brokenness. God having proximity to our brokenness that we might be changed. God exposes our brokenness, but that's not where God leaves us. Point two. God won't leave us in brokenness. Hosea chapter 2, beginning with verse 19. I mean, at the end of verse 1, you see this turn where it goes from judgment to compassion and mercy and redemption. I'm going to go back to chapter 1 just for a minute in verse 10. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. See that, it, that there's a turn here from judgment in brokenness to mercy, compassion, and redemption in brokenness. Chapter 2, verse 19 God says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth. The earth will respond to the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people, and they will say you are my God. God won't leave us in brokenness. God calls us back into relationship. That's what God wants to do with broken people. Pull them back into relationship with God. 
That's what God wants to do with your broken marriage. Pull it back into relationship with God. That's what God wants to do with your broken manhood, with your broken womanhood, with your broken singleness. God wants to bring it back into relationship with God. God wants to take your broken heart, your broken mind, your broken childhood, your broken past, and God wants to bring your brokenness into intimate relationship with God. Hence the word betrothed. This word betrothed is the same word used in the gospel in describing the relationship between Joseph and Mary when Joseph finds out Mary is pregnant with Jesus. They are not married yet, but betrothed is bigger than engagement. It's a formal agreement to marry. It is deeper than our Western understanding of getting engaged. It, it is a deep commitment. And God is using this language, this covenant language, this on the verge of marriage language to describe what he does with broken people. He, he doesn't push them away. He desires to draw us close. Betrothed. Betrothed with what, though? Like, you know, when we, when, we, when we think of engagement, the first thing that comes to our mind is a ring. And so we're wearing a ring to show you we're going to get married soon. So here's a ring uh, that's being worn to, to, to show that a marriage is around the corner. Well, what does the church wear to show the world that its marriage to Jesus is around the corner? That one day Jesus will return and claim the bride, the church, unto himself. Uh, we're not wearing a ring, but it's clear here what we're supposed to wear in the meantime. We're supposed to wear righteousness. We're supposed to wear justice. We're supposed to wear love. We're supposed to wear compassion. We're supposed to wear faithfulness. This is what is around the church to symbolize, to show the world that we are in an agreement with Jesus. How would the world know that you're in agreement with Jesus? Not through judgment, not through criticism, not through arrogance, not by burning bridges, but building bridges. How does the world know that the church is in in agreement with God, you got to do the same stuff Jesus did. Give sight to the blind, cast out evil spirits, get next to people in jail, get next to people that have crossed the border, get next to the widow and the fatherless and the needy, get next to the prideful and the arrogant and the stubborn. We have to get with broken people to show the world we're in agreement with Jesus because we're betrothed to God. God won't leave us broken. We are called to live as God's beloved. That's why in chapter 3 of Hosea, verse 1, Lord, we're about to read the whole book of Hosea. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. Man. This is how deep it gets. What does God do with people that turn their back on God, that cheat on God, that rebel against God? 
told Hosea, this is what I want you to do. Go get your wife back. Can you imagine now? Hosea going out in the street, trying to figure out which club <laughs> Comer's at. He finally get to the one where she in there dancing in between two men. And he go up in there. Hey, baby. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I want you to come home with me. I love you. And he takes her home as if she never cheated on him. And when he gets her home, Luther Vandross is playing. Stevie Wonder's playing. Somebody out here, Barry Manilow's playing. <laughs> Hall and Oates is playing. And uh, he's cooked her favorite meal. There's rose petals all over, candles lit. He serves her dinner. He washes her feet. And he kisses her as if she's always been faithful. That's what God does with the broken. I wish the church would get the word out about this. I don't know if I could be Jose. I don't, I don't. <laughs> Danisha, you know I love you, but man. Uh, ooh -wee. So glad my name's Ephraim. So glad my name's, and your name's Danisha. So glad, so glad. <laughs> Final point. One, God exposes our brokenness. Two, God won't leave us in brokenness. You'll meet us at the club. Three, God sends a repairman for our brokenness. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, we gotta make our way to the Gospels, right? The Gospel of Luke chapter four, verse 14, Jesus is returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is God's repairman <laughs> for a broken world. Yes, he is. You know, I'm not good at fixing stuff. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just not. I, 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 wish, I, wish, I wish I was good like that. You know what I mean? that I could just fix broken stuff around the house. And I get paid to run my mouth. I was a theater major in college. I know you can't tell. I have a theater and theology background. I can't fix anything. So if the dishwasher breaks down, we have to call somebody. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. If, if, if the lawnmower breaks down, we have to call somebody. 
If, if, if the refrigerator goes crazy, we have to call. There are certain broken situations where your best option is to call somebody. <laughs> your, your best option is to ask for help. Your best option is to get an expert on brokenness, somebody who's been trained, somebody they will send out to your house to deal with what is broken. That's who Jesus is. He came into the world as a repair man. He brought sight to the blind. He brought mobility to the paralyzed. He brought life to the dead. He cast out evil spirits. He put people in their right mind. He visited a woman on death row and stopped them from throwing stones at her. He went into Samaria and sat at a well with a marginalized woman. Jesus came here as a repairman because I can't fix nothing, and neither can you. You can't fix your broken life in your own power. You can't fix your broken marriage. You can't fix your broken past. You can't fix your broken neighborhood. You can't do this in your own power. You and I need a reconciler. We need a redeemer. We, we, we need a repairman. I, I have come to understand so good that I can't fix stuff that I actually prepare before something breaks. When my wife and I buy something brand new, we get the warranty, because I know it's gonna break at some point. I know it's gonna break. See, I, 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 when, when I get new stuff, I just know I need a warranty. I do, but so do you. Every new situation you've stepped into in your life, why did you act like it would never get broken? I know when you were dating and you were engaged, you was like, mm -hmm. I'm gonna love you forever. And you said you're, man, this is why a lot of people shouldn't say their own vows. You should just repeat what the pastor tells you up there. We're gonna go on dates every day and I'm always gonna listen to you and I'm always gonna serve you and I'm always gonna open the door. You are my princess and my queen. You are my world. I will never forget about you. I will always be patient. I will, stop it. Because you said all that stuff. I will always love you. I will. Why won't he cut his toenails? Oh, I hate him. Hate him. Cutting me. Just cut. Look at these scars. Cut your toenails, bro. Hate broken husbands. Fix him, Jesus. <laughs> Why do the ladies always shout on that part? Um, we need a repairman, we need a warranty. We need insurance and assurance. Sisters and brothers, I'm not trying to get ahead of Easter Sunday, but Jesus is a repairman. When Jesus went to the cross and into the grave, he turned a cemetery into a repair shop. And there were some ladies that showed up at the gravesite. And the angel said, he's not here, he's risen. Because <laughs> Jesus is a repair shop. You can go to Jesus. But you know what? When the women went and told the men that Jesus had rose, they didn't believe him. So some people, for whatever reason, won't go to the repair shop. <laughs> 
The good news is Jesus also provides roadside assistance. So when the men were walking down the road, wondering what happened to Jesus, oh, he died on us, he got arrested. Somebody joined them on the road and started talking to them. They didn't realize who he was, but they were like, man, wasn't that a cool conversation? Jesus finally reveals himself to them because sometimes if your broken self won't go to the repair shop, God God will meet you on the road of brokenness. Oh, Jesus is a repair man and he's roadside assistance. Whatever the brokenness is, I wish the church would become a repair shop that people could come into the church and whatever their burden was, whatever their brokenness was, they could find healing in the church, liberation in the church, reconciliation in the church. They could find blessing in the church. They could find love in the church, but the church should not wait till people come in the repair shop, we should go out here in Gresham, go out here in Portland, go through the state of Oregon and give some roadside assistance to the homeless, to the prostitute, to the drug addict, to the divorced person. The church needs to be AAA. Jesus, we don't mess with me. I'm Baptocostal. What you know about Jesus, he's all right. What you know about Jesus, he's all right. Don't be messing with me. The worship team's about to come out here. And they're going to sing a song about what God does with broken people. Y'all can come on right now. Y'all can come in. Y'all come right now, right now. And while they're singing this song, we just want to make room for an altar call. You don't need to be shamed today. If you're in a broken situation, if you're waking up in the middle of the night because of brokenness in your mind and in your heart, it's okay. There's belovedness for you today. No shame, no guilt, just the free gift of salvation. God's lavishing, abundant love. They're, they're going to sing about it, but I just want you to know if in any way you feel are experiencing brokenness and you need to give it to God, you need the roadside assistance. I just want you to stand up where you are and just come down here. Don't be shamed. I just want you, I want you to meet me here. Meet Pastor Keith here. Meet, meet Pastor Coco here. Meet, I just want you to come. I just want you to come and know you're not alone. For some of us, we needed to see some other people come so that we would have the, the, the courage to say, okay, I can go now. I can, I can go now. I can, I can go now. Maybe you need to grab your spouse and say, yeah, let's go on. Let's, let's, as they say where I'm from, let's go on. Let's go on down here.
Those of you at your seats, stretch forth your hand of faith. These are family members. This is brokenness that lives among us. And the simple fact of the matter is, is if not this Sunday, next Sunday, or a month from now, it could be you. So while we're worshiping, while you're experiencing the presence of God, there is brokenness here. There's devastation. I can feel it in my bones that if the Lord doesn't come and minister, they don't know what they will do. Some people are here, and this was the last stop for them today. Yeah, stretch forth your hand this way. You're praying with us. Please don't spectate right now. Whenever these moments happen, whether it's salvation, whether it's a moment like this, we're participatory in how we engage with our brothers and sisters. Amen? Come on, let's worship together. Stand to our feet all over the building. How many recognize you're broken? You're dangerous if you don't recognize you're broken. How many recognize you're broken? Come on, let's sing that part, put us back together. How many know you need to be put together? That if God doesn't, how, how many, wait, wait. How many recognize that you are not here this morning because you somehow got it together? How many realize that Jesus is holding it together? Like you would be what you hate if it wasn't for the Lord that was on your side. Amen? Mothers, hold on, baby. How many hear what I'm saying? 
So listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes right now. And just as they sing it, make it your prayer. Once it becomes your prayer, make it your praise afterwards. Come on, put us back together. Come on, sing it, worship team. Come on, let's spend a few minutes. Come on, lift your hands. Come on, sing it. Give the Lord a hand clap right now. Yeah. Come on. Do you understand the prophetic mandate over our house that was given not during my tenure, not during Jason's, but during Ted's, that said that we are the hands and feet extended to a broken world? How many understand that? That's a part of the DNA of this house. I feel the Holy Spirit even telling you that. We need to understand and reclaim that part of who we are. Because I don't know whether you realize it or not, but the church has become adversarial to the culture. It's broken. How many know the world is broken? What is the remedy? The remedy is not Christians spilling out of places like this with judgment and vilifying people for their brokenness. The solution is broken people who recognize they've been justified, declared not guilty by what Jesus has done, and are under various states of repair even to this moment so that when you approach anybody in anything the first thing you realize is you are in need as well so that when you approach them you don't approach them in a high horse position you approach them like a grace recipient with humility and empathy and compassion because there you would be without the grace of God yourself. Amen? Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. So this week, like no other week, you're going to have an opportunity to invite people to God's house. And you know what you're going to find? If you're humble and if you're vulnerable and if you recognize your own need, that if you invite them, they will come with you. They will join you. Make sure you bring them. You come and meet them in the foyer. Make sure you get a cup of coffee and explain everything and help them. And here's what we're going to trust. <laughs> that the God who showed up today will show up then too and save them. Amen. So listen, invest in relationships, invite people to God's house, and expose them to the grace of God in your life. Amen. Go with God. God's going to go with you. We love you.